If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. And at the same exact time, get your finger or marker or whatever in 2 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read Psalm 46, probably a psalm that you're familiar with. And as you're going there, I just want to thank the church for being so kind to keep us, to take care of us. Uh, I've probably told you this before. I have, uh, as Pastor Lemming said, I have four kids, Olive Cohen, Preston, and Levi. I call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, I might have said that before. Uh, And so two of them are here. They're the major ones, okay, the twin boys. They... I think they ate all the donuts yesterday, so I apologize about that to the men's group. But Psalm 46, as you're going there, I'm going to read this. And then I want you to just dwell for a moment on this psalm as we read through it. Let the words of of God's word penetrate your heart. You know, I always tell my students at Word of Life, when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and that Holy Spirit interacts with God's word, things happen. Things happen. Your life changes. Listen to this. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says... Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for being our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Lord, thank you that in you we can rest, we can be still and know that you are God. Lord, we rest in you this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's keep our marker in Psalm 46. We were just there. And let's go to 2 Kings 18, because I want to I tell you something. A lot of scholars believe that this psalm is rooted in an event in Hezekiah, King Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah is how you say it in Hebrew. That King Hezekiah is one of the most amazing uh, kings of Judah. And Hezekiah, you're going to see in a moment, has a very interesting event take place in his life. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible so much is that it's real. You know, it's not fake. It's not these, all of these things are not these lofty stories of how everyone lives a perfect life in the Lord, and then we're left wanting, you know, as readers. No, you know what? A lot of, all the stories, pretty much, we connect with the people that God chooses because they fail. Uh, they fall, they stumble, they trip, and yet God still uses them in his grace and mercy. And Hezekiah is one of those kings that 
you know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know who Hezekiah is because his story is so amazing. It's an amazing account, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Let me connect you really quick with the Psalms, too. See, the Psalms are amazing as well. I was telling the, uh, the men's group yesterday, the man camp yesterday, gentlemen, who here was at the man camp yesterday? Any hands? There we go. The men, all right? And so uh, we were talking about this idea of what the Psalms were. The, the Psalms are something amazing. They're not just li little prayers that we pray. No, these were prayers uh, that got turned into national hymns. And the nation of Israel rallied behind these, these Psalms. They rallied behind these prayers as a nation. But they begin, a lot of them begin with an event that might have taken place in the psalmist's life. We know Psalm 51. Many of you probably read Psalm 51. It's David's uh, uh, cry of repentance, his broken and contrite heart that go back to an event uh, where he, he murdered Uriah and had an, uh, an affair with, uh, with, with Bathsheba. That's an event that took place. And out of a deep longing for repentance, David is able to pen this amazing, amazing psalm that pierces through time. It pierces through, through generations because when you read Psalm 51, you go, uh, that's me. You know, that's amazing. Just because we're 21st century people and we have iPhones and we're all on screens and everything. You know what the amazing thing is? The heart hasn't changed since the very beginning. And so that's why it's important for us to look at these. This psalmist, a lot of scholars believe as he's writing Psalm 46, is actually connecting to this moment in Hezekiah's life. So look at this in 2 Kings chapter 18. Let's look at this moment. Look at what it says here. In the third year of Hoshea, the, the, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now remember, Ahaz was a very, 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 very bad king of Judah. Okay, he wasn't the greatest, all right? And his son takes over, and look what it says in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 18. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he, here it is, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Talking about King David, his great, 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 great grandfather, okay? They all, David had a high elevated status uh, in Judah and in Israel. They loved David. David is the king, if you will, in that little region, the greatest of kings. So everybody was compared to David. Look what, he, look what it says in verse 4. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke uh, the pieces of the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Uh, in, in verse 5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord that the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. And he even rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Uh, from watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and uh, its territory. Now think about this. Hezekiah is doing what the Lord wants a king of Israel to do. He is leading the people both spiritually to connect them to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's amazing how leadership, leadership can determine the direction of its people. In one moment, you have a king who is leading people in one direction to follow after idols, to embrace 
immorality, to, to do things they, God does not want them to do. And in, in one moment, the turn of a king, all of a sudden Hezekiah is going, no, we're leaving that behind. Follow me as we serve the Lord together. And he does what God requests a king of Israel to do. And you would think God's going to just out, you know, abundantly pour out all of his blessing on Hezekiah. Nobody could touch Hezekiah. He's doing an amazing, amazing thing. But you know what? That's not the way God works. God still, even when we're, 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 we're walking our best walk with the Lord, it doesn't mean that problems and troubles can't come. Look what it says. Did you, did you catch this here? Maybe you missed it, but it comes up pretty quick. I like the way that the writer of Kings does this because he just kind of drops it in there so that you don't even really see it. But look what it says. Uh, verse 7. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now, if you were reading the newspapers of the day coming out of Jerusalem, that would be front page news. It's kind of just tucked in there because I think they're building something for us here. The writer is. He's building a case. He's building the tension. But if you were living that day and you woke up in the morning and you poured yourself some Turkish coffee in Jerusalem, okay, and you're, and you're getting ready and you opened up your web browser or your newspaper, that would be in there. Because see, Assyria was the largest empire in the world at that time, and they were conquering peoples and nations around them and gobbling them up. And if you didn't pay tribute to Assyria, if you didn't give a tax to Assyria, they will come knocking on your door. Hello? What gives you the right to stop paying us? We'll eat you alive. That would be front page news. I love that it's just kind of tucked in there. You know why it's tucked in there? Because Hezekiah had a confidence in the Lord that even if I stop paying this tribute to this pagan nation, God's going to take care of us. And look what happens here, though. Watch. Because he's right. Hezekiah is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. I want you to jump down with me in verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked the fortified cities of Judah. So what it looks like is this. As you have Jerusalem and you have all of these cities around Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, Sennacherib, this king of Assyria, this, this great king, is coming in and he's attacking all of the cities around Jerusalem. So Hezekiah sees what's going on. These are his people that are suffering. And look what it says. It, he captured them. Verse 14, so Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. I will pay whatever you demand of me. Uh, all of a sudden, look at This is the human element of the Bible, everybody. Hezekiah's caving. Look. Well, I've, done, I've done it wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The king of Assyria acted, uh, uh, ex, uh, exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all of the silver that was found in, look at this, in the temple of the Lord and the treasuries of the royal palace. And at this time, look at this, look at this. At that time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped the gold 
with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. Here is Hezekiah doing everything right, everything. He is living high. I am following the Lord. I am doing everything I'm supposed to do. I am following the law of God. I delight in the law of God. And then what happens? Some pressure comes and all of a sudden we're stripping the gold and the silver off the doorposts of the temple. We're emptying out the, te tre uh, the treasuries of Jerusalem just to get Assyria off our backs. Has that ever happened to you before? Did you ever say, Lord, I'm following you, I'm trusting you, I'm, 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 I'm obeying you, and then all of a sudden a little pressure comes in. Oh my gosh, no, what do I have to do to get out of this? What do I have to do? What, what can I do to release this pressure? What can I do to get this issue off my back? Look, Hezekiah dealt with the same issue. That's why Psalm 46 was written. Watch what happens. I love this as you go on. Look what it says here. It says, in verse 17, the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, the chief officials uh, and chief, a field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Not far of a walk at all. They came to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool to the road of the washerman's field. And they called for the king. And Elikam, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, Jonah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah this. So now Hezekiah's men and king of Assyria, Sennacherib's men, are talking. And the king of Sennacherib's men say this. You tell Hezekiah. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours. What are you basing your confidence that you think you have the chutzpah, as they would say in Yiddish, the chutzpah to stop paying me? Notice, even after he paid the piper, he stripped the gold off of everything, he emptied the palace treasuries, it wasn't enough for the king of Assyria. Because for Assyria, it wasn't about the gold and silver. You know what it was? It was that you would disobey the greatest empire in the world. That's what it was about. Who do you, what confidence do you have, Hezekiah? Who do you think you are? And you know what? This is where Psalm 46 comes from. Where do you get this confidence? Go with me to Psalm 46. Now that you know the backstory, listen to this. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present trouble, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Can I tell you something? When Hezekiah woke up the next morning, there were 185,000 Assyrian soldiers standing around Jerusalem. He lost that battle. From a human perspective, he lost. Jerusalem is a tiny, tiny capital of a tiny, tiny country of Judah. I mean, they were a nothing, okay? It'd be like some city in Wyoming standing up against the federal government, okay? That's what it would be like. This is a tiny country. And there's Hezekiah standing on the walls of Jerusalem and surrounding him are 185,000 Assyrians. He's lost. And yet the psalmist writes this, because this is where the story emanates from. This is what the heart of Psalm 46 emanates from. Look at this. 
Our God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. Do you know what's amazing about God? Let me connect this to you. You know, we can often, in Israelite tradition, we always look back at what God's done for us. We remember what God's for us, done for us, how he delivered us from Egypt. He set us free. He gave us the law at Sinai. He led us through the wilderness. He provided for us all along the way. He brought us into the land of Israel. He moved us into the land. He helped us conquer the nations that were in the land of Israel. There is a history of God's faithfulness. And you know what? We can't just live in the fact that God did something for us in the past, but God is our present help even when the armies are surrounding us right now. If you, listen, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know what armies are surrounding you. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of times in life that we are standing within the walls and we are looking out and we feel surrounded by the enemy. And you have to remind yourself of something before you go stripping the gold and the silver off the, the doorpost of the temple, before you empty out your bank account to get this problem off your back. You have to remember something that the God that we serve is the God today that's here to help you right now. And that is something that we've got to rest in and stand on, or else we pull a Hezekiah and we go the wrong direction. Do you see how quick it happened? Do you see how quick Hezekiah went from walking with the Lord and then all of a sudden just caving in? Hey, you know what? I've done that before. You know who else did that? Abraham. Abraham was walking with God Everything, you know, and then he goes, God, God makes an amazing promise. He goes, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to make a, I'm going to promise you, you're going to get a son. You're going to get the land. You're going to get blessing. You just follow me, Abraham. And Abraham goes, I believe. And God accredited to him his righteousness that he believed a passage that Paul will use. And it becomes a quintessential to our faith that it's only by faith alone that we are found righteous. And the moment that Abraham believes in God, he goes like this, but how will I know? Isn't that us? You know, God knows you. And he still wants to use you and me. You know why? Because he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Look what it says. It goes on. Maybe you felt like this before. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Can I tell you, in Hebrew poetry, that just means everything's going wrong. It, it, don't overread it. It's poetry. Poetry's meant to overemphasize things. It's meant to make it feel like the world is ending. And for Hezekiah, it was ending. He was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that at the moment that Sennacherib wanted to attack that city, it would be done. They had already conquered the northern 10 tribes of Israel. There was already a good reason. The 10 tribes of Israel were already exiled and dispersed and carried away. Judah was left and they were next. So they already had good example that Sennacherib wasn't playing around. Hey, look. This is real for Hezekiah, and it feels like the world is ending. Did you ever feel like the world is ending in your life? Did you ever feel like things are moving in slow motion as you watch events take place? Uh, Pastor Lemming and I were just talking. Uh, my father passed away in 2012 at a very young age. He was 50, 
uh, six years old, and I, got a, I was living in Dallas, and he passed away suddenly, and it was JD, my best friend, who drove me to the airport. And I'm going to tell you something. That day, I woke up, and everything was normal in Dallas, Texas, and by 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, me and my young family were in Philadelphia, where my parents uh, lived, in, in uh, the home, mourning with them. And I don't even remember, and I mean this, I don't even remember how I got there. I just remember somehow being, tra- JD took me to the airport. Uh, then I was on a plane and then I landed and then I was with my family. I don't know how it happened. I, it's just everything moved slow motion. The world was ending to me. The waters were, ro- were, were foaming. It, was, it felt like the end of the world. That's what Hezekiah feels like. And yet he reminds us, the psalmist reminds us, God is our refuge and strength. Look at this. It goes on. Watch this. There is a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth earth melts. You know, Hezekiah had to come to a moment for himself after he (laughs) bankrupted Judah, okay, and sold it all. He had to come to a realization. Can I tell you something about ancient Israel? In Jerusalem, did you know that the presence of God was in Jerusalem? The physical presence. Cloud by day, fire by night. Have you ever heard of that before? It's called the Shekinah glory of God. God's physical presence came down into a room called the Holy of Holies where nobody could enter but once a year a high priest to make an offering and atonement to purify the temple and to make an offering for the people of Israel. Only once a year he could enter, but God's physical presence dwelt between the cherubim that were on the Ark of the Covenant. I know that we think about the Ark of the Covenant and we think Indiana Jones and it was a great... Do you know what the Ark really was? It was the throne of Yahweh. It's where Yahweh sat and led the people of Israel. The king Hezekiah was just a representative of the true king of Israel, the king of kings, the Shekinah glory of God, whose presence dwelt in the, in the center of the city, the holy temple. And I want you to read this again, because look at this. Knowing that, that God's physical presence is there. Look what it says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's Jerusalem. The holy place where the most high dwells. That's Jerusalem. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Can I tell you something? Hezekiah was stressing out over 185,000 Assyrians. And yet the God of the armies is right behind him in the temple. Hezekiah is emptying out the temple treasuries. He's begging for forgiveness to a pagan king. And yet the eternal God that spoke everything into existence is right behind him. You think God is scared of 185,000 Assyrians? Nope. And Hezekiah had to reckon in his mind, I see I see what I see. There's 185,000 Assyrians. We've lost this battle from a human perspective. But now Hezekiah has to dig down into that part of his life called faith, where he has to look back and see that God's presence is with him. 
And that city's not going anywhere. Can I tell you something? God is in you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You cannot be moved. That enemy is out there. He is. I mean, Paul tells us, read Ephesians chapter 6, put on the armor of God. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. But can I tell you something? God is in you. In the same way God's presence was in that temple in Jerusalem and Hezekiah had to come to the realization that God is going to defend his people. He would never let it fall. As long as his presence is there, he is on their side. He's defeated armies before. He has shown the world before that even though the odds are against Israel, God would defend them just as he promised them. That's where Hezekiah had to turn. And instead of looking out at the fear of the Assyrian army, he had to turn around and in faith, Look at what God was going to do. Because God's about to act. And look what it says here. I want you to see this. It says, God will be her help at break of day. This is why scholars connect this to this event, because it's thinking about the morning that's going to come soon. That the sun will rise. And you're going to see what's going to happen to the 185,000 Assyrians when that sun rises. Nations, look at nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then look what he says. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says what? Be still and know that I am God. Yep, even though there's 185,000 Assyrians out there, Hezekiah, even though it feels like the world's ending, even though you're seeing the cities around you being captured, uh, uh, you have got to know to trust God. Where does this confidence come from, Hezekiah? It comes from my faith in the Lord. I I want you to see this whole message is actually called a, a, a posture of faith. I should have probably led with that but I did it, so I'm sorry. But look at this. I want you to see Psalm 46. I want you to see, remember Hezekiah and then remember Psalm 46. Look at the structure of the poem. Look at the structure of the prayer. Let me tell you about my life first. When I see something crazy happening, I stress out. Does anybody else do that? Anybody a stressor like me? Come on, be honest. All right, one hand, I see you. I'm a stressor, okay? Uh, my wife is a stressor, so you can, see, you can imagine what that's like. We're like running around on the Titanic as it's sinking, okay? Uh, we're not thinking logically. So, you know, it, it, the reality is, is that's what Hezekiah did. The moment there was pressure, stress came in, and he responded in stress, and he did what he was not supposed to do. Anybody ever do that before? I, I do that, okay? Yes, Lord, that's me. Uh, I confess. All right, here I am. But I want you to see how the psalmist sets up the posture. That's my posture normally. (laughs) What am I going to do? How am I going to fix it? What can I take out of my bank account to fix this issue? What kid can I sacrifice to fix this issue? (laughs) Take him. Take him. (laughs) It's definitely one of the twins. Okay, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. What can I do to fix the problem? And I want you to see how the psalmist postures faith. Let's flip some of these verses. Imagine if the verse, 
in the first section started like this. The mountains are falling. The, 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 the earth is giving way. The, it's all falling into the heart of the sea. The waters are roaring and foaming. The mountains are quaking with their surging. Oh yeah, but God's in control. That's not the way the psalmist starts it. How does the psalmist start it? God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble right now. Do you know that? Because when you are there, because I'm going to promise you something, the Bible, and I know Pastor Lemming doesn't teach like this, but the Bible never said you're supposed to have a happy life. Actually, the Bible actually says you're going to suffer. Pick up your cross daily. The suffering that you're experiencing now, Paul says, will never compare to the glory that's coming. You're supposed to suffer. It's a part of what it means to be a Christian. If you're suffering, don't go, God, what? what's wrong? Go, thank you, Lord. Because this is actually what the Christian life is supposed to be like in a world that's controlled by Satan. There will be suffering. And if you know that truth, and then you know that God is in control, then we don't start with the whole world is falling apart. No, what we actually start with is what? No, God is our refuge and strength right now. So then when I look at what's going on around me, when I see the 185,000, what I should do, and I'm telling you, I'm on this journey with y'all too, okay? When, what I should do is go, nope, God is my refuge and strength. I'll deal with the fact that the world is falling apart around me in a moment, but right now, God is my refuge and strength. But let me start there. And then look what it says. It goes on again, remember? Imagine if it said, the nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Imagine if we started there. And we do that. That sounds like a newspaper today, doesn't it? Yeah. Front page. Nations are in an uproar. New York Times. Kingdoms fall. New York Times. You know, that, that, wherever you're reading, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Whatever news source you have, it doesn't even matter if it's conservative or liberal, guess what? The world is falling apart. But you know what? Because we're believers, look what it says. We should actually start with the fact that God is in our midst. Even though the nations are roaring. Even though things are falling apart. I, I have a missionary that's on the field in Pennsylvania. Uh, he's a veteran, served in Vietnam, a Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus. And so one of his, he's in his 70s now. His, his ministry is to go to the VFW now. And he serves the, the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish chaplaincy there. And he walks in and his name is Mitch Treesman. He's always got a smile on his face. He walks in and this one veteran comes up to him and goes, why do you always have a smile on your face? Oh, I have joy. Joy, the whole world's falling apart. It's not going the way we want it to. And all of these old, older men came and surrounded him, and he had a chance to share the gospel because you know what his posture is? Joy. In the, it, it, while everybody else is looking at the world falling around them, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, as they're all looking, he comes in with a face of joy and is attacked for that because that's his posture. And you know what? That's the posture we should have. Why? Because God is with us. We can't be moved. People, you can't be moved. In life or even in death, you can't be moved. God is with you. And you know what that should cause us to do as believers? Relax. To be still. Are you, have you, when was the last time you all relaxed? 
I don't feel like I've relaxed in a long time. Do you ever find a moment during your day to just relax in the Lord? That's what the Hebrew means, relax, chill out. There's 185,000 Assyrians surrounding us right now. There's an enemy outside these doors right now. Are you resting in the Lord? Because if you posture yourself in faith as the psalmist shows, then you are actually resting in the Lord despite the chaos. Flip back with me really quick to uh, 2 Kings. Go to chapter 19 to the very end. Hezekiah has a come to Jesus moment. He has a major prayer that I hope that you read. He's stressed out, which he should be. I'd be stressed too. He speaks with Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah has a word for him. And it's very interesting because Isaiah reminds Hezekiah, he says this in verse 34, or I'll start in verse 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord said concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. Not Isaiah, declares Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will defend this city and save it for the sake and for, this, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And that night, verse 35, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death the 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So, this, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh and, uh, and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, the sons of Adramelech and Shazair uh, killed him with the sword and they escaped the land and his son succeeded, uh, succeeded him. Hey, that's the God you serve. God is our refuge and strength. God's presence is with you. So relax. Easy enough, right? Thanks, psalmist. Do you know what these are for? The, it's true. Reading is easy. Living it is harder. Because that's exactly the way Hezekiah, he was living it, and then the pressure came, and it all fell apart. But the psalmist says, no, posture yourself, posture your life differently. This is called sanctification. You know, it's funny. I've met seasoned believers, and I can see how the Spirit has changed them over the years, and their faith is strong. And then they look at me, and they see me running around like a squirrel in the middle of the street when a car's coming, you know? <laughs> and I always think to myself, that's where I want to be. I want to be able to look at that 185,000 Assyrians right in the face and say, you don't stand a chance. And you know what? The reality is, is that the truth is there. God, not only biblically, but historically has proven himself faithful. I'm sure God's going, how many more times do I have to show you that I'm with you? <laughs> That's the way our God 
works. That's the way our God ministers. And you know what? As we yield ourselves to the work of the Spirit in our life, I believe this. As we yield over time, as we grow and we allow the Holy Spirit to change us, because when the Holy Spirit changes us, he's actually conforming us. He's molding us into the image of Christ. And even as Christ was staring at death, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Because that's where we want to get to. That is what it means to yield yourself to the Lord. Not my will, but your will. And you know what? That happens as you yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. As you interact with the word of God, it changes you so that your posture isn't bent in fear, but your posture is bent in faith, even though the world has fallen down around you. Because our God will never leave us. He's our refuge and strength. He is present with you now. So relax. And when you relax, you know what's amazing? People look at you and they go, like my friend, like my colleague Mitch, something's not right here. Something's not right. The world is falling apart. God's in control. He's here right now as we speak. I want you to go back today. And I, I, honestly, I want to challenge you. Read this psalm again. You know, when you know the background of the psalm, it's going to bring to life more what it means to you as a believer. You know, you're going to allow God to work right where you are in your life to change you, to mold you, to fashion you to his image. One of my favorite Old Testament passages comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Moses wants to know God And he believes the only way I can know you more, God, is if I can just see you, if I can just touch you, I will be able to be like you. I could could know you deeper. I want to know you. And God says, I can't show you myself. If I do, you'll be consumed in my holiness. And so what, what, what happens? You remember, God says, I'll show you this part of me right here. Okay, and God shows him this part. And do you remember what happened to Moses? Moses came down from Sinai. And do you remember what he looked like? He was radiant. He was shining. All the Israelites were like, oh my, Moses, what tanning bed have you been in? This is out of control. I'm scared, you know. And yet in that moment, as God is passing before Moses, you know what he says? I am Yahweh, Yahweh. I am the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord, full of mercy and compassion, and kindness, and long-suffering. Thank you, Lord. And forgiveness. But I will not, uh, but there will be punishment for those who don't turn to me. He's not saying I'm weak. But you know, that's what God wants to conform us into. When we talk about being conformed into the image of God, we're talking about literally having the nature of God in us, changing us. So that when these issues do come, when the world is shaking, we stand confident in who God is. 